Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. We are your hosts. I am Nate Endries, hosting alongside Jake Deemer. Wait, Jake's not here this week. Co-host. It's Justin Cress. Let him know who you, who it is. JC. JC is my co-host for the week, and he uh, was supposed to join us just as a third guest this week. But Jake had something come up last minute that he had to take care of, so he will not be joining us for this week's episode. But what we have planned for you today, outside of you know the normal weekly segments, is we're actually going to take a look at the hitting and pitching rankings so far based on the point totals that each team has put up for their pitching staff and for their offense so far through the season. And we are going to let you know whether we think that the – Pitching rankings and the hitting rankings are suggesting that these teams are overrated, underrated, or just right. We'll explain a little bit more about that once we get there. So let's just jump right in and talk about this past week, our prior week recap. JC, biggest upset. What did you have from week seven? From week six, sorry. Biggest upset. I have actually Courtney losing to the league median. It's an interesting spin. I looked at every other matchup, and there was definitely some very close calls. But, I mean, I I know what it's like to lose to the median, and I feel like Courtney has a big powerhouse team. So saying that she lost to the median is basically mean that she's subpar in half of the league. Sure. Yeah, my my biggest upset was the only pick that I got wrong from last week's episode. It was the matchup between Jerwin and Jordan Testicular Torkelson versus Kenny Ross Mercedes. Now, I don't want to take any credit away from Jerry here, but I think the narrative definitely resides with Jordan's terrible performance this week rather than some kind of show-stopping upset performance from Jerwin. Uh, With only two hitters mustering more than 12 points and five of his nine pitchers failing to score more than five points, Jordan's team struggled mightily this week, which I'm sure was a welcome sight for Nick, who is sitting right above him in the standings and now seems to have a comfortable hold on third place in the East Division. At this point in the season, not only is Jordan out of reach for the third seed in his division, but if the season were to end today, He'd actually be bumped from the playoffs in favor in favor of the fourth and fifth place teams in the West division, which are big money, Mike and newly branded team. Finally, he changed his team name from TP Prez to weak pullout hitter. That is Sam's (laughs) team. Uh, Jake picked this team as his most disappointing seed in our standings deep dive last week, talking about Kenny Ross Mercedes. And at this point, you have to think that that is the right pick with the smoke signals appearing appearing very clearly with Jordan being unable to put any kind of win streak together. But luckily for him, he does not exactly face the toughest competition over the next few weeks with matchups against Sam, Scott, and presumably an equally disappointing team opposite of him in the West Division come Week 9, since again we have that to-be-determined matchup in Week 9. Most shocking outcome, I'll go ahead and lead us off here, JC. I actually had a combination this week of my matchup with Mike and Nick and Jake's matchup. I picked both of the eventual winners in this matchup last week. I picked Mike and Jake to win. But I did want to give some spotlight to just how close these battles were all week long. These two matchups were decided by a total of 30 points. That is 
across both matchups, only 30 points combined separated the two winners from the two losers. And it wasn't just close, you know, at the end of the matchup, even just heading into the final day of the matchup, heading into Sunday, Nick carried just a under a five point lead. So he was actually ahead of Jake, even though he ended up losing the matchup. Um, and Mike carried about a 12 point lead in his matchup with me. But in the matchup of the East division, Nick needed a strong day from his offense on Sunday since we he'd be walking into the day down one start with Lance McCullers start to Alex Wood and Robbie Ray's two starts on Jake's team. Unfortunately for Nick, the offense was lackluster and Jake was able to outscore Nick on both sides of the ball to pull out the win. And then with me and Mike, the matchup of the West division, I pretty much only needed a big start from Shane Bieber on Sunday to secure the win. And for what it's worth, I think he's one of three guys that you can routinely expect big starts from on a weekly basis. But of course, for me, in the one week that I truly needed even just a decent start from my top three starter in the league in staff ace, I got a one point outing from the man. When it was all said and done, even just a seven point outing from Bieber on Sunday would have sufficed to get me the win. But instead, he put up just 17.5 points across his two starts in the matchup. JC, he's on thin ice and might find himself on waivers if he causes me to lose like this again. Well, you just let me know ahead of time and we'll make sure to pick them up. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the way our schedule plays out would almost have you think that this was a bracket style sequence of matchups with both of the winners in these two matchups, Jake and Mike playing each other. And then both of the losers, me and Nick playing each other in this coming week. So that was my most shocking outcome. What did you have, if anything, JC? Uh, I actually had two uh, to bounce off of with your um, matchup with Mike, not only did Bieber do real, or I wouldn't say super poorly, he didn't go negative, but there was three pitchers that I feel like gave up on the performance who I was Wade Miley, Rodon, and then Bieber. Because Rodon got rocked, I don't know how, by Kansas City. And then Wade Miley absolutely blew it. Um, which also uh, comes to my ultimate most shocking outcome, which was gone forever, only scoring a mere 128. And I had my side note here saying, obviously, because Wade Miley absolutely got demolished. Right. And that comes one start after he threw a no hitter. Right. Exactly. And none of us probably expected Wade Miley to be an ace caliber pitcher, but it is, Interesting to see somebody throw a no hitter and then get absolutely bombshelled in their very next start. So, yeah, interesting observations. Carlos Rodon, Wade Miley, and Shane Bieber of all pitchers not having great weeks. That was definitely the most surprising. But, yeah. Our top three standings update for this week. Wouldn't you know it, Jake is still in first place in the East Division with a perfect 12 0 record. That is Jake's fantasy baseball team. JC, you're right behind him in second place, just like you pretty much have been all year with a record of nine and three. Nick is right behind you two in third place, like he has been for the better part of a month now, Pine Run Market with a seven and five record. And then kind of the same story in the West Division. We've pretty much had a set top three there for almost a month now. Courtney is still in first place, Team C. Deemer, with a record of nine and three. 
I am in second place, number one contender with a record of eight and four. And Brendan is clawing at second place right behind me with the same record, eight and four Cleveland white males. So let's see if uh, heading into these next two weeks, I think the story of the rest of the season is going to be told over the next two to three weeks as to whether somebody can actually climb into one of these top three positions in either division and try to give somebody trouble, you know, for that third place spot in the division, or if it's just going to hold steady for the rest of the season, I think that that's what it's going to do. If, if nobody's going to be challenging for it over these next two to three weeks. I think it's going to be very challenging, but I also think this is a super competitive top three in each division right now, even with Nick climbing and then the matchup between Mike and Jake, you know, that, that, that can really help in the next two weeks, um, especially with Jake's coming up schedule. Yeah. And, and I think the one, I can't actually point to this and say for sure, but I am nearly positive that the one common theme with each of these top six teams is every single week at worst, they're going one and one. Like you don't see these teams going 0 and 2 pretty much ever. Maybe it's happened once or twice with, a couple of these teams, but it might may you may have to go back to like week one or two to see that. But yeah, since probably week two or three, every one of these teams has produced at least one win every single week. And I think that that's probably what it's going to take for any team that's trying to climb and grab one of these top three spots in either division to jump any of these top six is they got to, they got to start producing at least one win every single week. So which comes down to the league median, which I feel like as of right now, looking at um, these divisions, you can see the league median pretty much forming an effect because um, we never had that before. So seeing this now, I mean, I know in the one week I didn't win my matchup, but I won against the median. So that really, you know, solidifies you because you did, you know, better than the half the league beating get penalized. Right. Yeah. I, I think it was a great addition for us. I've really liked how it, it gives an extra edge to teams that I think truly produce on a consistent basis. So hopefully everybody else likes it as well, but let's move into our trade talk segment. JC, this segment is pretty much owned by Scott this week. He came into the league, I think last Monday, maybe, or Tuesday and boom, 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 five trades off the bat. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five trades Scott made in his first week ever in the league. Let's let's just jump right into them and talk about a few of these. The first one was a big one. The first two were really big trades. The very first one was Scott gave up John Means, Nelson Cruz, Luke Voigt, and Steven Strasburg. And in return, I gave him Jared Kalenic, Adam Frazier, J.A. Happ, and Michael Lorenzen. I'll ask you first what your initial reaction was to this trade. I feel like everybody kind of looked at that notification when they saw it pop up on Fantrax and wondered what the hell. And I I did see it. I feel like a lot of the trades, this one actually was not, not as bad as the, uh, the old owner has done. Um, Obviously both, both side pieces I want to talk about Strasburg 
because he's injured and I feel like that really hurts the value. I don't know if this injury is going to linger all season, but that is something that would scare me owning him. But you also have to think we're talking about a guy whose ERA ranks fifth all time. I'm just using a post uh, postseason analytic. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, I got uh, big shoes to fill with Jake. So I figured I'd try to bring something. Sure. bring it. Uh, and he's right behind four hall of famers. But the question is for the payoff is how many innings will he actually throw this year with that injury to make it worth it? And John Means is pretty much a capering guy. Uh, I am intrigued to see how far he's going to go this year. Uh, he's obviously going to have some keeper value to him, but I don't think he's going to be lights out like this next year. Uh, giving up clinic is possibly giving up the next comparable Ronald Acuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you think that's bold or you don't, um, I really do believe in him. And I think that was like, if you're going to give away anybody, that's him. Uh, so I think uh, it does go into your favor here. Um, but not going to hate too much of it because Kalenic is in there. And to me, he's the keeper that you'd be stupid not to love and have on your team rolling in the next couple of years. The other little pieces you can kind of get by. Uh, Cruz was kind of a question mark because, I mean, he's hitting a home run every was 13.22 at bats. But even if you notice, he's not even in your lineup right now. So that's my general digestion of that trade. Yeah. So the way that this played out, which I briefly mentioned in our league group chat, was I never really had any intention of trading Jared Kalenic. Like he was my franchise piece, right? That's the guy that I planned to roll with until he was no longer keeper eligible. But then I see an offer floated my way from Scott on a random Saturday or whenever it was. And it was enough to perk my ears up. And I said, uh, well, hey, Scott, I don't want to accept the offer that you sent me but if you were willing to give me this then i then you'd force my hand to pull the trigger and basically what i was targeting with my return is one you always doesn't matter how much starting pitching you have you always want more high caliber starting pitching right so that's where i thought and means was a part of the original offer so it was pretty easy for me to ask for him to be included in my counter which the counter is what you see went through here this four for four So means he's obviously off to a great start this year. I don't think that he's a top three pitcher like he has been so far this year. I think he's obviously a breakout pitcher and I think that the breakout skills will stick. I don't think that it's going to be worthy of being a top 10 starting pitcher, but top 15, top 20. Sure. I could definitely see that. And that is going to be a valuable keeper next year. I think he was drafted in the 19th round. So that would be, I believe the the 15th round next year. So again, still a valuable keeper. Um, But I agree with you, JC. I think you were on point by saying that he is not going to be this elite for the next year and a half. Uh, I don't believe that by any means. As far as the other pieces, Strasburg, I, I also think that you were on point in your analysis. He's a big wild card because when Strasburg is on and healthy, he can be a top eight starting pitcher overall but the story of Strasburg's career is basically this super contrasted juxtaposition where it's either Steven Strasburg is on the IL all season or he's a top eight pitcher all season you never really see too much in between from Steven Strasburg so he was really like a wild card ask for me like 
basically a piece that I asked Scott to throw in to make me feel really good about trading Kalenic. And then as far as Nelson Cruz and Luke Voigt, I keep listing first base as a need on my trade block because I have like pretty good producing first baseman right now and, and Jesus Aguilar and Jared Walsh, who I believe are both producing over three points a game on the entire season so far. But those obviously aren't names like Freddie Freeman or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or DJ LeMahieu who you feel good heading into the next five months of the season. Like you feel like, yeah, I'm definitely good at first base. So that's kind of why I've continued to seek out first base. And, and Luke Voigt is another solid guy. So I just feel like if I can get a few solid guys at the position, I can just rotate in whoever's hot at the time. So that was my target there. And Nelson Cruz is always just a handy guy to have around for offensive depth. All that to say, that's kind of like where I was coming from in terms of targeting not some superstar in return for Kalenic, but a lot of really good quality players in return. And I'll be honest with you, outside of Kalenic, what I included from my side was just fluff to clear, to clear the roster spots for the guys that I was getting to come in. But agree with your point again on Kalenic, that I think he is the next Tatis or Acuna level keeper in our league. Um, I made mention in our group chat that these guys, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, and Ronald Acuna Jr., these superstars, they were all once number one or number two overall prospects. And uh, that's where you see these superstar level talents come from. They don't just come out of the woodworks. They're not prospect 70, and then they suddenly break onto the scene, and they're a top five player in the game. Like They're ranked number one or number two in the entire minor leagues for two or three years before they make their debut for a reason. And it's because they have superstar level talent. And I think Kalenic and Wonder Franco are going to be those next two guys to, to be the superstar caliber players. So very long winded way of saying, I agree that I think I got a favorable part, favorable side of this deal, but I also believe wholeheartedly that Scott has a future superstar on his hands. Oh, most definitely. Let's quickly move on. I don't want to say quickly because the next trade is almost as big as this one, if not bigger. Uh, let's move on to the next one between Scott and Mike. Scott gave up Jose Abreu, Javier Baez, Chris Bassett, and Luis Severino. And in return, Mike gave up Shohei Otani, Tristan McKenzie, Hugh Oscar, Yanoa, Garrett Hampson, and Jake Arietta. And I'll quickly mention before we jump into it, that Hugh Oscar, you know, as some of you saw that I posted in the group chat, just broke his hand and will now be out for months. So JC, excluding that factor that he just got hurt, because obviously there's no way that we could have all known that he would get hurt. What was your initial reaction to this big trade? All right, so uh, kind of both of these trades, they, they didn't really fully click right with me. And this one definitely didn't either. Uh, uh, let me explain why. Th this whole trade was basically my Zabreu and Severino for Otani. I think the other pieces are just pretty much fluff. Um, I, I first also never been super excited about McKenzie. I, I think he has still a lot to work on. Uh, Hampson is great because of his multi-eligibility. And then there's Otani, who's amazing, and but he only has that uh, UT position, which I think really limits him because w when you're, when you own a Tani, I feel like you, you want to play him as a hitter. Um, and still probably going in the next year, I think what you need, he needs to play at a position for 10 games 
And with him pitching, hitting, I, I feel like that's going to be pretty hard to get. And to get that consistency, um, I, I just don't see it. Um, so this one didn't really sit right with me, mostly because Severino has proven and padded his path as an ace with amazing keeper value. I feel like that's a player, um, if I was Scott, that I just wouldn't, I wouldn't touch. I would just keep him locked up and let him go into next year because he's going to come back. I'm mark me if I wrong, but sometime in July, mid July. Yep. And he's going to be limited. Um, but that's not even going to matter for his case. So he's got a whole year to just hold him. And then he's got a staff ace for next year. So to me, that one didn't really make too much sense, but. Yeah, I'm with you for the most part. The one piece that confused me in this deal was Luis Severino. He's going to be just 28 years old entering next season and presumably at full health and will have, I would say, at least 90% of a regular workload for a starting pitcher by this time next year because obviously he's going to be coming back late this season. And uh, 28 years old for, for a pitcher who's been out for a year and a half with Tommy John surgery, the age doesn't matter so much for pitchers as it does like the innings that they've thrown in their professional career. Well, it helps that Luis Severino, it's almost counterintuitive, but since he's been out for a year and a half, there's not as much mileage on his arm. So he's going to be coming back. And once he gets back into form, which he will, because he was a top, top five to seven pitcher in the game, both in fantasy and in real life before going down with Tommy John surgery, uh, once he gets back to form, he'll be in his prime in terms of, you know, not having all that mileage on his arm. So I didn't, I agree with you there. I didn't really understand why Scott would, would be willing to give up Severino. I think that he was probably a top 10 keeper in our league, like overall across the entire league. So didn't totally understand that. But on the other hand, like some people love Shohei Otani. I'm not one of those guys that is head over heels or Shohei Otani because we play in a weekly league and his upside, as you mentioned, is limited by the fact that you either have to play him as a pitcher or as a hitter. You cannot play him and get the points for both as you would maybe in a daily league. So I am not an Otani guy from a fantasy perspective because I play in mostly weekly lineup lock leagues, but I can't blame anybody that is because there's no question that Shohei Otani is one of the most exciting players in baseball and he's not becoming at a really high draft price. So I can't blame Scott. Like I'm not going to call this a terrible deal because Otani is definitely a great and exciting player and just his name alone will always carry value so long as he's healthy. But I mentioned to you when we were talking about this trade right after it happened that yes, I agree. I think it's just pretty much boils down to Jose Abreu in Luis Severino for Shohei Otani, and I would rather have the duo of players. I would rather have the keeper in Severino and then another piece to sell off later in the year to a buyer and get another keeper with Jose Abreu. And I think that the rest, Baez, Bassett, Tristan McKenzie, Yanoa, Hampson, and Arietta are all pretty ancillary pieces. Maybe Hampson is the exception to that just because he has a lot of positional eligibility but most of those players are just streamer players on both offense and in pitching. So Agreed. I would say, yeah, Mike got the better end of this, not a crushing blow for Scott, but definitely no. something to kind of look back on, reflect and think maybe I should have picked my spot better there, but obviously that is Scott's decision to make. And maybe he was a really big Otani fan. So I can't blame him again there. JC, this next one was a little squeaker right after <laughs> right after the huge blockbuster trades that Scott made with me and Mike. 
you slipped in Rymel Tapia and got back in return from Scott, Justin Turner. I'll give you my thoughts on this first. I didn't really see where Scott was going with this move because Rymel Tapia is an, is not keeper eligible. You picked him up off of waivers. Um, and I don't know necessarily that Justin Turner is a keeper himself, but he certainly is slash was playing very well at the time of the trade. So I think that Scott could have maybe used him either on his own to get like a minor keeper or as part of a larger trade to try to package for a major keeper. But instead he just shipped him off to you for a guy that you, you kind of picked off of waivers and isn't even lighting the world on fire himself. So I'd be interested to pick Scott's brain on this one. Obviously we don't get to do that, but I, I do wonder where he was coming from with this. Where were you coming from on this deal? Well, let me clear some air. I had two trades in my inbox. That, so there was really no negotiation. Like we didn't really like have any backing on it. One was for Brantley and one was for Tapia. And I'm not really sure his reasoning for Tapia. Um, I know he was hitting well at the time. So in my head, I'm thinking maybe he wants him for a quick flip. Um, but also left field is so stacked that uh, those are pretty hard players to even try to do that. I don't really know his reasoning, but obviously with those two trades in my inbox, um, I was going to give him Tapia over Brantley. Um, I feel like it would be stupider for me to do it otherwise. Um, but that was pretty much um, my thinking on it. Uh, the reason I actually was texting him before um, about Strasburg, I was like, well, Jordan, he said he had him in another deal and he couldn't pull him out of it. And I'm thinking, you know, what, who's talking to him? Like, what, what's going on? And then the obviously that pumping. dropped. Yeah. And I <laughs> saw those two trades go. And those two, the, the trades he sent me for Turner were sitting in my inbox for about a half a day. And I let, I, once I saw your trades go in, I immediately accepted it. Cause I was like, you know, I don't want to miss. You don't want to lose something. Turner. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to lose him. Uh, so I immediately just pulled the trigger on it. Um, I, again, I don't really know his reasoning. Um, but, hey, it's yeah, a good thing that you pulled good. the trigger though. Cause he kept wheeling and dealing. And to, to be honest, you made it, you make a good point that we haven't really talked too much about yet that left field is absolutely stacked so just i'm not looking at a list but players that come to mind for that are left field eligible juan soto austin meadows marcelo zuna michael brantley uh who are some of the other ones jc can you think of any off the top of your head yelich yelich but the point is like not just the number of players i mean there's top for left field but it's like almost every name going into the top five to seven left fielders are all like superstar caliber players. I know Whit Merrifield has left field eligibility. He's another guy that's obviously like a, an elite hitter for fantasy. Um, but the list kind of, I know I'm blanking on a few. There's just so many left field eligible hitters. You could even look at the waiver wire. I'm pretty sure when I was looking, there's like t- the, a play- 10 left fielders hitting above at least two, 2.2 points a game, which isn't like amazing, but I mean, that can keep you afloat in left field like you don't really need to go up and reach for anything like for me i'm pretty fine with brantley so i feel like because it's so filled you don't really have a problem ever really finding anything i'll give you an idea of actually how deep left field is because i was looking at this i think last night or the night before but david peralta 
what I think he was just added by Brendan. No, I'm I'm thinking of a different league. But the, even David Peralta is a waiver wire pickup this year who was only added about two weeks ago by Brendan. He's the number six overall left fielder. Adam Fraser, who we were just talking about in the trade with Scott that I made. We we looked at him as kind of like a fluff piece, right? He's the number seven left fielder right behind David Peralta. So you see all these kind of waiver wire edition players coming out of nowhere, and all of them have left field eligibility. Other guys that I missed that have left field eligibility, Chris Bryant is the number two overall left fielder, Alex Verdugo, number three, Kyle Tucker, number four. So the list just keeps going on. Left field is probably the deepest position on offense this year in fantasy, if I had to venture to guess. But let's uh, let's get into the next trade. I actually really liked this one for Scott. He gave up Rizel Iglesias, who, would, who is the closer for the Los Angeles Angels, or I guess the Angels of Anaheim. And Sam gave up in return Bobby Witt Jr., who is the number one prospect for the Kansas City Royals, and A.J. Puck. I didn't really care so much for Puck. We've talked about him briefly this year. I don't really think that he's going to be fantasy relevant um, probably ever. I think the injury has just kind of ruined any chance he has to be fantasy relevant. But I do really like... Bobby Witt Jr., who is not only the number one prospect in his own organization for the Royals, but he's the top five prospect overall in baseball. And I think Sam drafted him in the 15th round this past year. So he will be eligible in the 12th round next year, then the ninth round after that, and then the seventh round after that. And I think, you know, by the time three years is up, Scott is going to get some pretty elite production out of Bobby Witt Jr. So I really like this move for Scott. Super low cost for him. What were your thoughts on it, JC? Um, for this one, my thoughts were pretty, uh, pretty simple. I had it that it was good for both. Um, I'm not, I, I really liked AJ Puck coming in. And then it was like after he just pitched, um, even like before the injury, I wasn't like that huge on him, but I did have a little bit of faith. Uh, so I think him, Sam needed some help. So on the RP and his bullpen, so that that's good for him. And then get Bobby Witt, obviously for him to stash um, Puck. I don't really think he's going to bring into next year, um, but just to have him, I mean, that's always good. But the main piece just being Bobby Witt Jr., uh, that's going to be good for Scott, and I think it's going to pay a big dividend for him in the coming years. Yeah, that's that. Uh, the next one, this is the last one that Scott made this week, the fifth trade that he made. He gave up Austin Hayes and Luis Garcia, and in return, Brendan gave him Paul Goldschmidt and Chris Rodriguez. JC, what did you think of this one? Uh, I like Austin Hayes. Um, Garcia uh, just kind of came out of the blue, but um, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he holds both SP and RP. Um, so that's pretty good for Brendan to get. Um, giving up Paul Goldschmidt and uh, Chris Rodriguez. Uh, for Chris Rodriguez, I guess that's good for Scott. I mean, he's just like adding – an arsenal um, to his team that he can select a nice big pull for next year. So I thought it was pretty good for both sides. I don't really see anything too crazy with it. Chris Rodriguez actually wasn't drafted this year. I think it's pretty clear that he was the no name of this deal, but Paul Goldschmidt in his own right is certainly a, or has been for the past five, six, seven years, a very high caliber hitter. Stunning. So, I think that, that was a good get for Scott to eventually flip and turn around to sell at the deadline to a buyer. And then for Brendan, I actually think this was a pretty good, like pretty sneaky move for him. Luis Garcia, not only does he have both SP and RP eligibility or what I like to call a SPARP, 
but he plays for the team that's kind of produced pitchers to be good out of nowhere over the past few years. Last year, it was both Framber Valdez and Christian Javier who came out of the woodworks to be really good. In prior years, we've seen really good performances for, for stints from Lance McCullers Jr. Obviously, Garrett Cole went from being just good on the Pirates to when he got traded to Houston, being the best pitcher in the league. Justin Verlander kind of revived his career after being traded from the Tigers to the Astros. So if there's a guy to kind of take a flyer on that's coming out of nowhere, not that Garrett Cole or Justin Verlander came out of nowhere, but if there's a guy that you kind of see performing well and you want to know if it's legitimate, it always helps if they're pitching for the Houston Astros. And Luis Garcia, he's a spark, like I mentioned. He scored double digits in each of his last four starts. And that's something that, you know, no matter how you slice it, that is very valuable to be to be coming from your RP slot, assuming that Brennan is going to slot him in as part of his bullpen. So I like that move. Again, both for Scott to get a stud to sell at the, at the trade deadline, but for Brennan as well to kind of get an under-the-radar player like Luis Garcia. This last trade was somewhat similar to the trade that Scott and Brendan made where Brendan gave up kind of like a, a proven stud hitter and Scott gave up like an under-the-radar sparp this trade was between me and Jake, and I, I can't, I couldn't tell you when the last time Jake and I made a trade was before this trade today. So this is like a holiday that we have to celebrate where Jake and I make a trade together. The deal was I gave Jake Carlos Correa, and Jake gave me Alex Wood, who was a SPARP for the San Francisco Giants. JC, what did you think about this one? Uh, that was the one that was actually t- today, right? Yeah, happened about three hours ago. What were your thoughts on this one? Uh, I mean, I didn't, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right now. Um, okay. Well, in the meantime, I'll tell you actually how it came about. It was pretty simple. I saw that Corey Seager went down with, I think he broke his hand or he had a broken bone in his hand after getting hit by a pitch. And that's Jake's guy, right? Corey Seager at shortstop for the Dodgers. And I knew as soon as I saw they had a broken bone that he was going to be out for multiple months. And I also know that Jake loves Carlos Correa. I like Carlos Correa too. Like I know he he used to be a top three round hitter and not just because he was drafted there and got overhyped. Like he used to produce like an elite fantasy hitter. So I've always liked his upside since then. I know Jake loves Carlos Correa's upside. Um, talked about it, you know, one of the first episodes that we did this season So I just thought, let me float it his way. And I've been specifically on the hunt for a spark because Ryan Weathers hasn't been doing too well out of the Padres rotation as a spark in my lineup. I actually dropped him earlier today. So I was kind of looking for a replacement spark for him and and Jake having Alex Wood and needing a shortstop, me having Correa, who he really likes. It just kind of made sense to me. I sent it over. He said, let me take a look. I'll get back to you. And uh, he accepted. He didn't even text me back about it. He just accepted, so it worked out. Um, um, My thoughts, excuse me, uh, I think this was probably the most, uh, I guess you could say, balanced trade that uh, we've seen probably from this past week. Um, With with Alex Wood, I did not expect him to be as hot as he is um, coming out of the gate. But you got to think now, too, with San Fran, they're the top top team in the national league so which is kind of shocking a little bit um very shocking (laughs) so 
with, with him being on a team that's going to give him some run support and for them clicking the way they are right now is really good. Um, dangerous for you to have most definitely. Um, like you said, um, having that kind of SPRP can be very dangerous and nice to have. As for Jake, he definitely needed to fill that hole and Korea, he's going to do well for him. So over and all, I think that was a fair trade and good for both sides. Yeah, and the, the surprising thing with San Francisco being the best team in the National League or one of the top teams in the league overall, it's not just Alex Wood who's who's pitching like an ace. Kevin Gosman, who's also yep. on my team, is a top pitcher this year and has been crushing it. He's been he's been thrown against he's thrown against San Diego three times. He's pitched against Miami, who doesn't have a bad team themselves the Phillies and still he's one of the top pitchers in the league this year. So those San Francisco giants, like they made a lot of sneaky moves in real life over the off season and they're paying off in a big way. I don't even know if they'll end up selling at the deadline, which I think that's what everybody expected them to do in real life. I don't know if they will now. Just, uh, they're playing really well. You have to kind of think in perspective too, that they are ahead of the Dodgers, the Padres, Cardinals, Phillies, Braves, Marlins, like they are dominating. They're 14 and four at home. So I thought that was just pretty neat um, to see them up. I don't know if they'll be consistent with it, but they put together a team, like you said, and I think it's going to be intriguing to see how it's going to come down in the end. Hopefully it plays out nicely for me because I have their top <laughs> yeah. two starters and I have their closer. So I'm hope I'm crossing my fingers, hoping that it, it sticks for the long haul here. But let's, uh, let's get into the segment that we're bringing to you new this week, the, hitching, the hitter and pitching rankings that I mentioned earlier. So basically, here's how it's going to work. I briefly talked about it earlier. We have rankings based on point totals for each team so far this season. And according to these rankings, quote unquote, we will be sharing whether we believe that the current offense or the current pitching staff, so that it takes into account players on the roster, players that are healthy versus players that are injured takes into account all of those things. And we're going to tell you whether we think it's underrated, i.e. the offense or the pitching staff is better than the performance so far suggests, whether we think it's overrated or worse than the performance so far suggests or just right. And JC, the way that we, just to give the everybody that's listening some insight into this segment, the way that we kind of broke it down, right was we made these personal quadrant rankings where we kind of put teams into groups of three to say on the offensive side, here are the three teams that we think have the top three offenses. And then four through six, we listed the next best three that we thought and so on and so forth, all the way down through our 12th place team that we personally rank for offense and pitching. So let me give you the rankings first, and then we'll go through one by one. And we will comment on whether we think that these teams are just right, according to the, the point totals in the rankings so far, overrated or underrated. Here they are. So for hitting, in first place, we have Team C. Deemer. I don't think that that's any surprise, but I'm going to keep going through these and then we'll, we'll revisit. Second place, Big Money Mike with the second best offense so far. Third place, Cleveland White Males. Brendan in third place for the offensive point total so far. JC, you are in fourth. Jake is in fifth. Sam is in sixth, newly rebranded weak pullout hitter. I am in seventh. Jerwin is in eighth. Nick is in ninth. Jordan, tenth. 
Eddie 11th and Scott 12th. So starting at the very top, JC is Courtney's team in the number one ranking spot. And, and really, like I mentioned earlier, as like a top three offense is kind of how I was looking at this. Does that feel overrated to you, underrated or just right? Just right. I would agree. I don't even think we have to touch on it too much. I don't think that there's any question that Courtney has the best offense in the league. If at the very worst, one of the top three, you know, one of the best. Big Money Mike in the second spot, do you think that that is overrated, underrated, or just right? Overrated. I would agree. And the only reason why I think he's a little bit overrated, like I actually have him in my personal four through six in terms of his offense. I have him in that second quadrant. Same. Is he really only has two stars in his offense, being Bryce Harper and Fernando Tatis Jr.? Like, I know that Rafael Devers is really good. I know that Alex Verdugo is having a breakout himself this season. And I know that Yuli Gurriel is playing out of his mind. But the two constants that I expect to hold the offense together all year are Bryce Harper and Fernando Tatis Jr. And I think that he will get solid support from Devers and Verdugo all year. I'm suspect of the rest of the offense, I guess, is why I have him in that second quadrant. I think that they'll give him a floor enough to be a better half offense in the league. But I think when you stack it against who I have in my personal top three, it just doesn't match up in comparison. And I will eventually share who my top three are. Third place, we have Cleveland White Males, Brendan. I'll lead off by saying I also think that Brendan is overrated based on the performance so far. Where did you have him? I have him as overrated. Okay. Is there a specific reason why? Like, I mentioned that Mike only has a couple stars kind of holding the glue together for his offense. Did you feel something similar with, with Brendan's offense? Yeah. I mean, he has Soto, which I feel like is the glue of his team, which is obviously somebody you're really going to want. I would say he's performing well, but I I would say that he's obviously not at his ceiling. Mm -hmm. Um, Peralta he's got, which is obviously good to have too. Uh, I was never really big on judge uh, or Horner. Um, Santana's gonna do him well. It's it's more the, the fact that uh, looking at his bats compared to his hitting, um, I'm trying to find it that I was looking at. Um, I can't find, it, but basically what I was looking at was comparing his at bats on his players um, to a lot of strikeout rates. Mm-hmm. So I think that he has the ability to obviously get a little bit more, but I wouldn't call his team like mediocre or anything like that, but that um, I, I don't, it's just not there. Like, I don't see it. I, I think some people are just having really good days for him, and it's paying off. Yeah, I feel similar. Like, Brendan has Juan Soto, Aaron Judge, and Byron Buxton. Those are a, a big three. That's a, that's a great outfield to have. I think that the rest, maybe outside of my guy, Carlos Santana, I do like Carlos Santana a lot. I think the rest are just kind of spots that you're going to have to play around with all year and, and kind of pick up somebody that's hot on the waiver wire to, to plug and play, which Brendan is traditionally good at, but it doesn't necessarily make me want to rank him as a top offense just because he has a knack for starting hot streamers. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that he will kind of always outproduce where I feel the true talent level of his team is at, kind of like what he always does every season overall but that doesn't necessarily warrant a ranking for me to be like a top offense in the league. 
like it is suggesting that he is so far with the point totals. I did forget that he had Buxton because I forgot about the injury. Um, no surprise there. But we were talking uh, about Buxton a couple yeah. weeks ago, he always gets hurt. But one and two, also the underperformance with uh, Pache. Christian Pache. Yeah. I'm not big uh, on him. See, I was I, – I thought he'd have a little bit more bop coming in. I actually was eyeing up, I think, in the beginning of the year. We didn't really talk or anything about it, but I always saw about texting, about the value. But obviously now, um, you know, I, I wouldn't give up really anything for that to me. He's – it sucks that you got to hold him. But um, it was disappointing to see that, like, performance out of him. Yeah, and I'm looking at Pache right now. Through 63 at-bats this season, he has a total of 1.2 points on the entire season. Yeah, I think when I looked at his points per game, the last time I did, I don't know what it is now, uh, fantasy points per game was at, like, decimals, like .035. Yeah, Yeah, it's like .05 right now. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I think Brendan will always get more out of the offense than what, like I said, the talent level suggests. But I do have him as overrated just comparing him to the talent level of some of the other offenses in the league. The next one we have is you at number four. I have you as just right here. I have you in that second quadrant of offenses, and that's no slight to you. I just think that the the top offenses in our league are like absolute juggernauts. What did you think for your own ranking here at number four? I have myself as just right, but I don't know if this makes sense because I do have myself as just right. But since I had um, um, Big Money Mike and Cleveland White Males overrated, I put myself in the top three and my personal top three in order. I have Courtney, Nate, myself, and then Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was my standpoint. I d- obviously, I- I'm trying not to be biased or no, anything I, like that. I'm going to share I do, my... I am comfortable um, with four, but I do think slightly that me and Jake are going to be going neck and neck here. Um, four, three. Yeah. I'm going to share my personal rankings. Like I mentioned at the end. And okay. I think that you'll find where I put you is consistent with what you just said, but there is one surprise. So that's why I have you just right is because I actually have you in that second quadrant, that four through six. And it's because of one surprise inclusion. You'll, you'll find out who that is here in a little bit. But number five, uh, Jake's fantasy baseball team. I also have him just right. So my surprise inclusion kind of bumped you and Jake both out of that first quadrant. I actually have both of you in the four through six quadrant. So I felt like Jake being at number five, uh, maybe not number five itself, but that quadrant of four through six, it feels just right to me. How about you? What did you think? I have Jake is just right. Like I said, I think um, my reasoning behind is – if I could, I'd probably have us tied. Um, but um, I do have him and me just right. I think we're pretty close neck and neck. Uh, so that's where I have that standpoint. And it feels just right for Jake's management strategy overall, right? Because like Jake's bread and butter has always been pitching. Oh, most so definitely. If he can just maintain like a top five offense while having the best pitching staff in the league, that feels like a very on-brand Jake fantasy baseball team to me. And I'm not even making a pun about his team name, even though that is his team name. That just feels like his style. So it's history. That's what he's <laughs> he's done. Number six, we have weak pullout hitter Sam's team. I think that Sam's team is underrated. 
compared to the point total that he has put up so far this season. Did you have something different? I did. I had just right. Okay. I feel like, um, like ah, uh, kind of like getting into the top six. The top six, mm-hmm. uh, it gets very uh, right between that middle range. It gets very cutthroat. So, um, um, I, 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 I have him just right, right there. I really like Sam's offense. Uh, Whit Merrifield is a stud. Yeah, he's Manny Machado is a stud. Trey Turner is a stud. And then guys like Eddie Rosario, Anthony Rizzo, Mike Moustakis, those are all guys that like. I just think that they fit the profile of what I really like in a player. They're not going to be like super standout, absolutely dominant hitters, but their profile lends itself well to a, a points league format because they walk a lot and don't strike out a ton. So I have always liked guys with that profile that you can kind of find in the mid rounds and they're not going to be standouts. They're not going to be the breakout players that return second round value, even though you got them in the seventh, but they will more than hold their own all year and they're not going to be a hole in your lineup. So I like that Sam has three absolute studs. He has another three guys that are plug in plays all year, according to, to my taste of guys that have really good plate discipline and then he's found himself a couple waiver wire hot hands. Buster Posey, I think, is a top two catcher in the league so far this year. He might even be number one. Who saw that coming? Buster Posey making a comeback and being dominant. And then even Mark Canha, he has triple eligibility in the outfield. And, and I don't know how well his production is going to hold up all year. But if you have, you know, three studs, three plug-in plays, and even one of your waiver wire hot hand sticks to be a long-term asset, then you're really only talking about filling two spots in your entire in your entire offensive lineup with waiver wire hot hands, which is not a big ask at all. So I'm very high on Sam's offense, and I have him as underrated for that reason. At seven, we have my team, number one contender. Uh, I have myself as underrated by a pretty big margin um but i'll let you speak to my team before i talk about it i have you as uh underrated uh, my reasoning behind it is i mean uh speaking about your lineup yeah at second jose altuve third rendon shortstop bogarts uh center field grisham and of course you got mookie betts uh and the thing is about that too i'm pretty sure with that depth now that you have uh i mean I do have you in my second caliber. So obviously being underrated and then the addition with Nelson Cruz, uh, Luke Boyd, even got Max Kepler, Brendan Rogers, Ozuna. Um, so I definitely think uh, your team's underrated. And I know also that you're already thinking about who you might have to ditch for a bench spot Um Cause I know it's something I wanted to say that was like you, how you utilize a lot of your bench space. I think we had this conversation before to where that if a person to me is not giving you any return, then it's kind of taking up too much space for somebody that you could have. Is that is that making sense to you? Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to have a dead bench spot unless yeah. you're going to return future value. I feel like it's something you do pretty well. Um, but um, because we had that conversation before, I don't know why, um, but I see that with your team, and I, that's what made me try to do it a lot more often too. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. And and the one guy that 
has kind of been a disappointment so far this year that that you didn't mention along with the rest of the studs. And I do, I hope he returns to being a stud is JT Real Muto, who is you know supposed to be the number one catcher in the league. So I I kind of have the same the same reasons why I called Sam's team underrated. It's the same reasons that I have for my own offense. I have Real Muto, who's a stud res- respective to his own position as a catcher. Uh, Jose Altuve, I think it's fair to call him a stud. Rendon, he's a stud. Bogarts is a stud. I'm not going to call Grisham a stud, but he is a very good player, and specifically having center field eligibility makes him very close to a stud because that's a very shallow position. Bookie Betts is a top three hitter in the game. Don't need to speak to him. And even some underperforming hitters on my bench, like I think Luke Voigt has the potential to go on hot streaks where he's a stud. Same thing with Marcelo Zuna. He can be a very elite hitter when he gets hot. And Nelson Cruz is a pretty steady contributor. So when you can plug up 80% of your lineup with proven studs and not have to worry about finding guys on the waiver wire that are going to produce and not leave holes in your lineup every week, it makes it very easy to kind of find those one or two spots for out, throughout your lineup where you do need some help off of the waiver wire. And that's, I've kind of gotten lucky to the, the one area that I keep alluding that I, I think is a team need for me of first base. I've gotten lucky that all the guys that I have have been per, playing really well. Aguilar, Jared Walsh. I expect that Luke Boyd, he just came off of the IL for the first time this season, like three days ago. I expect that he's going to be really good too. So I've even been getting lucky kind of filling my the holes in my lineup. Um, but yeah, I think that that all is a recipe for uh, being an underrated team based on performance of seventh overall through the season so far. The next team that we have is Jerwin's team, Testicular Torkelson at number eight. I have him as just right. What did you have, JC? I have him as just right. Okay. Like, uh, he does pull like right there. I feel like doesn't really need too much explanation, but mm-hmm. um, for Jones, I it's not his bottom end of the bracket. Um, could he come up? I, I think so. But um, as of right now, I think he fits perfect right there. I think so too. He has a couple nice pieces with Kyle Tucker, Max Muncie, Nolan Arenado, even Ryan McMahon having a breakout himself this season, Jesse Winker, like Jerwin touched on on the podcast here a few weeks ago, is having a nice breakout. Um, but I think his offense is kind of like 50-50, where it's players that are having a nice season so far, players that are struggling pretty mightily. So I think that seems to feel right to me as at, at number eight with like a 50-50 offense. Yeah, number nine, go ahead, JC. Nine, I um, for pen run market, I have um, underrated. Underrated. Okay. Yep. I'll be interested to hear why, because for Nick's team here at number nine, I actually, he might uh, take exception to this. I have him as overrated, even at number nine. So tell me why you had Nick as underrated here at the nine spot. I, I can see both sides, but my main point is that if you look at his bench, I mean, he has Yelich and Bellinger sitting. Um, well, not sitting, but they're on IL. But um, I'm not crazy on Yelich. Like, even if he comes back, I still think you know, he's not going to reach a new ceiling or anything. But Bellinger is such a huge piece. Mm-hmm. I feel like once he's back in, um, his offense is going to get a little bit of push. He, de- he definitely has some holes he needs to fill. Um but some guys are still going to be doing well for him. Even uh, Grossman, uh, Ger- I can't, Wardis Guerrero. 
Lourdes um, Gurriel Jr. Yeah, Olsen, even Grandel. I mean, he, he's going to get some production. So I, I think, uh, especially when I'm looking um, deeper into it, like I would put him either tied or right above um, Jerwin. So that's my reasoning for having him underrated. Now I'm really intrigued to see how and why you have him as overrated. Sure. So you took the angle of if all of the guys on his roster were healthy, and even yeah. I'll take it as far as saying playing in the major leagues, because he also has Wonder Franco sitting on his bench, who's the number one prospect in baseball, would his offense be really good? And the answer is absolutely. It would be a top half of the league offense um, for sure, I wouldn't question that in the slightest. But I did mention when we were when we were kind of introducing the segment that I was taking the angle of what is their what is the current state of their offense, and where does it rank in comparison to how they've performed so far? And without Yelich, without Bellinger, without Wonder Franco having made his debut in the majors yet, without Cabrian Hayes, who was off to a hot start himself and has not been active in a month and won't be active for probably three more weeks without Josh Bell playing well um, with Lourdes Gurriel struggling with Yasmani Grandal, not looking like a top five catcher anymore. And with, I don't want to call them like fake breakouts, but Matt Olson, Jazz Chisholm Jr. Uh, even Isaiah Kiner Falefa. These are all guys that I have shares of in other fantasy leagues. So I'm not going to hate on them, but I can speak to their plate discipline, their plate discipline and their overall plate approach. They do have a lot of strikeout in their plate approach, which does not usually translate to being studly hitters in a points league format that penalizes for strikeouts. So basically what I'm getting at is if you're an offense absent of your very best hitters in Yelich, Bellinger, Hayes, and Franco, and your best producers so far are guys that are prone to go on cold streaks because they tend to strike out more often than the average hitter. I think that that's kind of skating on thin ice. And that's why I actually, as of right now, have Nick in my very last quadrant of that 10th through 12th. Once his guys come back, Yelich, Bellinger, Hayes, um, Josh Bell starts to heat up, Wonder Franco gets the call, I would probably uh, catapult him way up in the rankings to that four through six quadrant. Like, I don't think that I would see a problem with that at all, but the current state of his offense, like I said, to me just seems to be skating on thin ice with the hottest hitters being guys that uh, certainly have holes in their plate approach that could lead to cold streaks uh, that you wouldn't want to see. So that is why I have Nick as overrated, but I agree with the points that you made. Um, leading you to believe that his offense was underrated. In 10th, we have Kenny Ross, Mercedes, Jordan. Do you think that he was overrated, underrated, or just right here? Uh, with the, I, I got to go with underrated because he, he's got uh, Jose Ramirez, Tim Anderson, Charlie Blackman, Luriano, who I love, Mercedes, who's been something special this year. Can't forget DJ Lemieux and um, – uh, to, to me, I feel like it's a little bit of a lot of those guys. No, not not underperforming, but I would expect a a little bit better. I guess mm -hmm. you would say. Um, and on his bench, I mean, I'm pretty sure he has Marte, who is off to a pretty hot start, and uh, off. Yeah, I like a lot of what Jordan has going on in terms of just the names that he that his offense is composed of. So I also agree that he is his his offense is underrated. 
I like DJ LeMahieu a lot. How can you not like a, an infielder with triple eligibility? I think Nick Solak is a somewhat useful player, not as much in points leagues, but he still is useful. Jose Ramirez, JC, you know, that's your oh, boy. That's he's, a boy. <laughs> he's a stud. Tim Anderson has proven to be a top end asset over the last few years. And I, I do like what he's got going on in the outfield. I know Brian Reynolds, Ramon Laureano, Charlie Blackman, none of them are studs, but I think they're all very useful players, even in points leagues like Ramon Laureano. Um, to kind of give you another example of a player who has strikeouts in his game, I still think that he brings enough speed that he makes up for the strikeout percentage that he brings to the game. So even he can be a useful player. And you mentioned Alex Kirilov. He has, he has a very high upside. He's on Jordan's IL. Starling Marte is a proven elite player. He is on Jordan's IL as a center fielder. That hurts. Uh, so I do think, and I'll be fair, um, because I did mention that I was including the fact that Bellinger and Yelich were on IL when I was evaluating Nick's team. So I'm not even really including Kirilov and Marte in my assessment of Jordan's team being underrated. I just think that he would be in the next highest tier for me rather than being bottom of the barrel, you know, 10th through 12th place, which is where he is according to the point total so far. Agreed. I'm going to quickly move through these last two because I have a feeling that we're both going to agree on these. 11th place, we have Eddie, gone forever. And in 12th place, we have Team No Name, which is Scott. I have these guys both as just right. Did you have anything different for these two? For both of them, I have just right and exactly 11 and 12 on my personal bracket. So, Yeah, and I don't think that that's any surprise for Scott's team. For Eddie's team, I was a little surprised because it seemed like coming into the season that his offense would be the strong point. But obviously, even that has been a struggle for him to muster solid production from. And he has big names like Will Smith, Lindor. Pete Alonzo, Francisco Lindor. Eric Hosmer's not bad. Teoscar Hernandez isn't bad. Alec Bohm, Randy Arozarena, Michael Conforto, Giancarlo Stanton, Jeff McNeil. He has all these names, but pretty much all of them are just been, they've been absolutely dreadful to start the season. And, not producing you know normally i could chalk this up to say like we know these names these guys will get it these guys will get it together eddie's team will be better specifically as offense but when every single one of them is performing pretty much horribly through this point in the season i can't say that his offense is going to be saved by one or even two of these guys turning it around like he's going to need his whole entire team pretty much to turn it around for him to be anything more than like a bottom of the barrel offense. So that's why I have him as just right in Scott's team. We already mentioned, I don't think it needs much to be spoken to. He's a seller. He's decided to sell early. His team is going to be bottom of the barrel pretty much at both ends of the ball. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to like the, the overall rankings. I'll give you mine first, my personal top three. I tried to do these in order. I did this pretty loosely, but I have Courtney, Sam, and myself. Maybe I'm being a little biased there as my top three. Who were in your top three, JC? Um, my top three was Courtney, you, and myself. Okay. I didn't have – so this is what I mentioned earlier. You had like Jake and you right next – neck and neck for around mm -hmm. third to fourth. I actually have in my four through six, I have Jake – then you, then Mike. Who was in your four through six, that second quadrant? Jake, Sam, Brendan. 
Okay. So Sam was like kind of the, the point where I, like he was kind of a surprise inclusion, I guess you could call him. I have him as second in the league, even in front of myself. Um, so I think that he's way underrated according to him being in sixth place so far in terms of point production. Okay. But that third quadrant, I have Brendan, Jerwin, Jordan. What did you have, seven through nine? I had Mike, Jordan, Nick. Okay. I think what we're seeing is even though we have different names included in these these groups of three, like you have Nick nine, I have Nick ten. You had Mike seven, I had Mike six. So even though they're they're in different groups, we basically have these guys almost ranked back to back in our mm-hmm. personal ranking. So my ten through twelve is Nick Eddie Scott. My ten through twelve is Jerwin Eddie Scott. Okay. So I, I think we're pretty close there. Uh gives you a little bit of an idea of you know, if you feel your team's underrated or overrated or just right. That gives you kind of some third-party perspective, and we are probably a little biased with our own teams, but hey, it happens. Let's move on to pitching, and we'll try to we'll try to do this one a little bit more quickly because I think pitching is even just a little bit more straightforward. You either have four to five really good starting pitchers, or you don't, and you're looking for starting pitcher, and that's pretty obvious to everyone. So in first place, no surprise, Jake's fantasy baseball team. I have this is just right. Don't think it needs much explaining. Did you have the same, JC? Just right. 100%. Yep. Number two, I have you're in second place with the point totals for pitching. I have you just right as well. Don't think that that needs much explaining. Do you agree? I have myself as just right. Number three, Courtney is number three, and I actually have her as overrated. And this may be splitting hairs because, as I mentioned, I use kind of like quadrants to do these. So I actually have Courtney as my number four team for pitching. But she here in these rankings is top three. So I did have to say that she is slightly overrated. What did you have? I have Courtney overrated um, specifically because I actually slotted you there because I have you under her as underrated. So uh, I have kind of flip flop in you guys. Um, That's my sort of view on that. Yep, I had the exact same thing. So my my team number one contender is fourth in points for pitching so far. I have myself as underrated for the same reason that you just laid out. And then in fifth place, we have Pine Run Market. I have Nick as overrated. I know that his pitchers have been throwing really well, and he does have some legitimate guys on his team, but I do have him as overrated. What did you have for Nick? I have him as overrated as well. I'll be honest. I like Trevor Rogers a lot. I'm more wary of Christian Javier and Lance McCullers Jr. I think that those guys can be good, you know, in any given start, but they're not guys that I'm rolling out every single week if they're on my team and thinking these guys are going to give me an automatic 13 or 14 points. Like it's kind of like you're almost rolling the dice. Like is is, is this guy going to give me 25 points or is he going to give me negative 11? To me, it's it's definitely I wouldn't say matchup basis. Um, but you want to pay attention to who they're playing. Like I'd be very scared if I don't like Lance McCullers had to play like that San Fran, like a hot San Fran team right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it's not even these specific guys. Like I'm not picking on Lance McCullers or Christian Javier. It's almost like once you get past the top 15 pitchers, you pretty much have to pay attention to the matchups because nobody is bulletproof. 
And anybody outside like the top 15 pitchers in the game who are obviously proven elite talents that you can count on to put the ball in their hand every fifth day, so to speak, you're going to start them no matter who they're playing against. Uh, you have to pay attention to the matchups. And I think Trevor Rogers at this point seems to be matchup proof. Carlos Rodon is pretty close, even though he had a clunker this past time out. But anyone beyond that on Nick's team, you have to pay attention to the matchups, which is why I do have him overrated um, compared to his fifth place finish so far, according to pitching points. Next one we have is Kenny Ross Mercedes, Jordan's team in sixth. I have him as just right. I had him at the end of that second quadrant. How about you? I have him as just right. Yeah, I've mentioned before, I do like the top three, um, specifically Tyler Glass now. That's obviously an ace caliber pitcher at his disposal that he has. He also has Charlie Morton, Dylan Bundy. I think Dylan Bundy and Charlie Morton have been struggling of late, but I still do like them to turn it around. Um, Time will tell with that, but I I feel like sixth place is just right for now. Seventh place, Cleveland White Males, Brendan's team. I have him as just right, surprisingly. It was a very close uh, call on whether I wanted to put Brendan in my second quadrant or not, because I do love Aaron Savale and Freddie Peralta, but I don't love anybody else in his pitching staff. What is your gut feeling on Brendan's pitching staff? Uh, He's one of the only people that I had, um, I had um, just right. um, But I I had like my side note. I actually went back and forth with his, because I originally had him as a, um, underrated because mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of points that I think can be made for Brennan's pitching. Um, but just right. Um, Cause looking at the other teams coming up right behind him for me, um, I, that's what I'm going to have to like go. I'm going to go just, uh, yeah. just right. I agree with you. It was a really close call between putting him in that seven through nine quadrant and putting him at the back end of that four through six. But I would agree just right for Brendan. Big Money Mike was in eighth place uh, for the point totals so far for pitching. I have his team as underrated. What did you have for Mike? Underrated. Yeah, I don't think that there's much of a question there. Any team that has Walker Bueller, Julio Urias, Brandon Woodruff as its top three, not to mention if Kenta Maeda is able to get it going and turn it around just to even be like a top 30 pitcher. That'll be a really strong pitching staff for Mike to just be able to basically stream a starting pitcher for his fifth rotation spot. I think that that is very clearly warranting a ranking um, higher than that seven through nine quadrant. I have him in the second quadrant. So Mike is underrated for both of us. Ninth place, we have weak pullout hitter Sam's team. I have him as overrated. What did you have here? I had him as just right. Okay. Basically what this boiled down to for me was he traded away what I thought was one of his best pitchers. Obviously Aaron Nola is his best pitcher, but I think if he was to pick another high upside pitcher behind Nola to trade away, that Savale was probably the wrong guy to deal away. Um, And in return, he kind of, he got back two guys that have been good in the past, but are not necessarily consistent. And Kyle Hendricks and Herman Marquez, basically Sam has a lot of names that have high upside. The challenge for Sam is going to be deploying these guys in the right matchup on a consistent basis. He has Patrick Corbin, who's been a really great pitcher in the past, but struggled mightily this year. Max Freed, he's been good in the past, but struggled this year. Sonny Gray, he's been up and down for basically his entire career, being elite at times and being unusable at times. 
Andrew Heaney has always been kind of a fringe starter, but a useful guy to have on your bench to stream matchups for. Aaron Nola is obviously a proven ace. Zach Eflin, I mentioned before, I like him this year. Zach Greinke might be at the end of his road. He's a 37-year-old pitcher who's been an ace in the past, but has not been an ace so far this year. So basically, Sam has a lot of names to play around with. He's just going to have to find the right groove of picking the right matchups. So I think that that's going to be a tough challenge to meet. That's why I have him as overrated. Yeah, I, I think he's going to – if Sonny Gray can get something going too, I think that that'd be a really good for him, which I mm-hmm. think would solidify him being just right. Because, I mean, even on his bench, it's not even that good. I mean, Kyle Hendricks and Marquez – or uh, Herman Marquez, you just got to throw him – you have to throw him in every other game because it, it looks like to me that every other game they either do really well or they completely blow it. Right. And that's a tough game to play with pitchers. He certainly has the ceiling to shoot up my personal pitching rankings. If let's just say two of these guys are able to put together consistently good starts. Um, Cause he has a lot of guys that would be capable of doing that. 10th place uh, team, no name Scott's team. I have him as just right. Maybe he's a little bit worse than 10th place, but I have him as just right because he is in that bottom quadrant of 10th through 12th for me. Anything different from you? I am as overrated, um, mostly just because I do have Jerwin just a tick above him. Yeah, if we were going by like specific ranking spots, I would agree that he's overrated. Um, but like I said, I was just kind of keeping it in groups of three. Yeah, but that does bring bring us to Jerwin at eleven. I have him as underrated, so I think overall I agree with your point because I do have Jerwin better than being in the bottom three of the league in pitching. Did you have anything to add on Jerwin's team? I had him as underrated. Yeah. Ian Anderson, Corbin Burns, Lucas Giolito, Michael Kopech, Luis Patino even, uh, Edwin Diaz on his bench, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Soroka on his IL, uh, including those last two guys a little bit less because, again, we're not talking about guys on the IL and talking about the best-case scenario. We're looking at the current pitching staff. Um, I do think that Ian Anderson, Corbin Burns, Lucas Giolito – and Kopech as a Sparp, those four players alone should have Jerwin be better than a bottom-of-the-barrel pitching staff, which is what he has been so far. So I think things are going to turn up for Jerwin. He'll get better, and that's why I have him as underrated. And then in 12th place, did you have something to add on Jerwin? Uh, I was just going to say that uh, Lucas Giolito um, has been pretty upsetting, I guess you could say, the past – maybe three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a player that you can kind of count on to bounce back. And that's why I think Jerwin's going to have that little bit of a bounce back in the pitching, pitching rankings. Yeah. It's almost like Lucas Giolito has been disappointment light and Luis Castillo has been the complete disappointment. Like those are the, the yeah. two big ACE caliber pitchers. I feel like that have been very disappointing so far this year, but I would agree that Lucas Giolito is more prone to turn it around than Luis Castillo. They both might, neither of them might, but I, I do put a little bit more faith in uh, Lucas Giolito. 12th place, we have Eddie's team gone forever. I have him as just right. Um, his pitching is probably a, a tick better than Scott's, but again, I ranked it by groups of three, so I do have him in this bottom quadrant. What do you have for Eddie? I have just right. Cool. So my personal top three for pitching, I have Jake. I don't think it can be questioned that he has the number one pitching staff so far. Uh, I have me in second, you in third, JC. 
And then you could go ahead and give me your top three before I move on. My top three, I have Jake, then myself, and mm-hmm. then you. Yeah, I can't blame you. I think it's a to be honest, even with Jake, I, I think it's, it's kind of a tough. I think it's kind of a coin flip between which one of us has the best pitching staff. I think you it could is. flip a coin. I guess it'd have to be a three sided coin. Um, yeah. any any one of us could have the best pitching performance on any given week. My four through six, I have Courtney, Mike, then Jordan. What were your four through six? I have Courtney, Jordan, Mike. Okay. Pretty close. So so far we're we're almost neck and neck with how we rank the top six. My seven through nine, I have Brendan, Jerwin, Nick. I have Brendan, Nick, Sam. Okay. And then my 10 through 12, I have Sam, Eddie, Scott. Yeah, and then I got Eddie, um, Jerwin, Scott. Okay. You're giving I guess Eddie you, I, the edge over Jerwin. I was I, like I was about to say I could flip-flop them. Yeah. Um, but um it's it's an interesting I, case, right? Because yeah. you have Nick with guys like Lance McCullers, Christian Javier, Trevor Rogers, Carlos Rodon. Those guys are all p- playing really well. But if we're drafting over again today, I still want the group of Ian Anderson, Corbin Burns, Lucas Giolito, and say Michael Kopech over the guys that I just named from, from Nick's team. So like, it's an interesting position to be in to rank these guys as pitching staffs. And I'm, I'm just using those two as a specific example because you see the performances so far and you should put some stock into it, right? Whether it's good or bad. But you also have to remember that most of these guys were drafted in the spots that they were for a reason. And I still would prefer, even though it's struggled and been the 11th place pitching staff so far, that high upside group of Anderson, Giolito, Burns, Kopech, and, and, you know, eventually he'll get back Carrasco and Soroka too. So I think the Jerwins team has the potential to shoot up the rankings for pitching as well. Yeah, I think it's important to find, um, even if you can't get a solid five, uh, like we talked about earlier, at least a solid four and a streamer option. Cause I mean, that can do a lot of damage, but I feel like what I've been seeing around, like when I'm checking scoring and stuff, some people are getting, if, if, if it's not the, an SP, then a uh, bullpen is just blowing it up and it, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of damage, but a blown save and a loss was at minus 15, close to minus 20. Um, and you get a couple of those floating around that really hurts. Yeah, for sure. Let's, uh, I'm actually going to be taking over this segment from Jake this week. So typically it would be Jake's standout player of the week. This week it's going to be Nate's standout player of the week. And this was last minute because, uh, like I said, Jake just had something come up right before we started recording. But last week, Jake chose Aaron Judge as his standout player of the week for all the wrong reasons. And this week, I am choosing Aaron Judge as my standout player of the week for the complete opposite. Aaron Judge was actually named AL player of the week. Uh, He posted a triple slash line of 571, 641, So 571 batting average, 640 on base percentage, and 1.333 on base plus slugging, which is an amazing, like otherworldly triple slash line. He also scored this past week eight runs. He had 12 hits, including one double, five home runs, in which he produced six RBI and he walked three times, all in six games. And uh, during this week, in those six games, 
He delivered five multi-hit games um, and enters play today, which I guess, yeah, this today's Monday. He enters play today in the midst of a six-game hitting streak dating back to May 11th. So congratulations to Brendan's guy, Aaron Judge, for digging himself out of the mini slump that he was in to be named standout player of the week last week for all the wrong reasons. He was the best player in fantasy baseball and offense this past week. So he is probably, I would venture to guess, going to be the only standout player of the week to ever appear twice in a row for one negative and one positive um, that is Aaron Judge, standout player of the week. Yeah, he went um, the on the last episode when you guys were talking, he had um, minus 1.13 fantasy points per game. And then just in our last period, he had a whopping 6.39 fantasy points per game. Oh, per game. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're going on a per game basis. Yeah, those are obviously two complete opposites different yeah yeah that's that's a funny thing how baseball and sports work out like i said i'd be surprised if that ever happens again where we have the same player on as the standout two weeks in a row and for completely opposite reasons but that's aaron judge for you that's that's just kind of what you could expect from him matchup preview looking ahead to week seven jc who do you have as the best matchup entering this week my best matchup i have Big Money Mike versus Jake's Fantasy Baseball Team. Um, reasoning behind this um, is because all, not only do am I really like rooting for Mike here because <clears throat> somebody needs to uh, <clears throat> excuse me take down Jake. It would also help uh, Nick and I. Um, but he's been very very close with highly competitive teams, and obviously even. Um, with your matchup, I, I think he has a really good chance here. Um, but I think it's going to be really, really close. Yeah, I went an alternate route this week with my best matchup pick. I actually chose myself versus Nick, the matchup between the brothers. Um, I do think that Jake versus Mike was kind of the obvious choice after both have been performing well recently. Of course, Jake has been performing well all season with a perfect 12-0 record. <laughs> But here in the matchup that I'm picking between me and Nick, we have a competitive brotherly rivalry where even if Nick seems positioned as a seller, despite having a firm grasp on the number three seed in his division, I know that what Nick really wants to do, or at least is tempted to do, is compete with the best of us and take his shot this year. Um, He's been doing very well so far and doesn't even have his two best offensive players, as we've noted, but also won't get the luxury of getting them back for this matchup either. Uh, even it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Even still, Nick has managed to perform well without them. And interestingly enough, Nick and I have been putting up nearly identical point totals going back through the last three matchups. We scored within two points of each other in each of the last two matchups and scored within 15 points of each other three weeks ago. So I expect this matchup to be extremely close, and I actually couldn't decide who to pick as the winner for our matchup. Um, specifically for the matchup prediction segment that we're going to be doing here shortly. Uh, and that was after mulling it over for a few minutes, but I'll let you know shortly where I, where I landed with that when we do our matchup predictions. On the other hand, worst matchup. I might steal your thunder here, JC. I chose the matchup between you and Eddie. 
uh, as suspected, Eddie had his 15 minutes of fame after topping Mike with a big upset win two weeks ago, but faced an absolute thumping from Courtney this past week. Um, and then on the other hand, you continue to show that your team is right up there with the best by putting up another league leading performance this past week against Scott. Um, I don't think much needs to be said about this matchup. And I really didn't have to look at the details of how many starters Eddie had versus how many you had talking about starting pitching. Um, I'm pretty confident in saying that these two rosters are simply cut from a different cloth and would kind of stake my ignorance of, of doing any research on you winning very comfortably in this matchup. I will say to your credit, JC, you've reached out to your opponent, Eddie, or your incoming opponent, Eddie, on a weekly basis to try to help him in the trade game. But unfortunately oh for you, really, I should say, unfortunately for Eddie, um, his clear as his team is a clear bottom of the barrel roster so far this season. I hear that even when you're trying to help him in the trade market, that trying to eke a response out of him is is quite the challenge. Yeah, it's like Aquila all over <laughs> again. Yeah, Aquila 2.0. Did you have yeah. a different matchup pick for worst matchup? I did, and I just think it's be it's gonna be a steamroll. Um, I, I have uh, C. Deemer and Scott. Um, Murray's in behind it. I feel like. Uh, it, for this matchup, like it's not really one I have to look too deeply into, kind of like how you were talking about me and Eddie's. I didn't actually look into it or go into projections for this matchup. It's just a a one. Like I know, obviously, I'll look at mine. I'm gonna look at yours and um, your brothers, and I gotta check in on Mike. Like I want to watch those a lot because I feel like they're gonna be pretty close and fun for Courtney and Scott. I feel like um, Scott is it is like the 10 year old catching the football, but going against like an NFL team. So I, I am going to give that one to court. Sure. That was a, that was another good pick for worst matchup of the week. Let's uh, move on to our matchup predictions. So after last week, I have a record of 21 and nine. Jake has a record of 20 and 10. So he and I are neck and neck have been doing pretty well. And obviously JC, you, this is the first time you'll be picking. So you're zero and zero. For our first matchup, number one contender versus Pine Run Market, which of the Endries boys are you taking in this matchup, JC? I am going to take number one contender. Um, but I would not be surprised if Pine Run Market gives you a run for the money. Yep. I mentioned that I thought it was going to be really close. I had a tough time deciding myself, but I ended up giving myself the nod and choosing I have confidence in my own team for the first time. And I want to say like three episodes I've chosen against my team. So I'm going to choose myself there. Second matchup, Cleveland white males versus testicular Torkelson. Who do you have Brendan or Jerwin winning this matchup? Cleveland white males. No surprise there. I have the same. Uh, Jerwin's team did get the win against Jordan this past week, but he still failed to beat the league median. So it doesn't look like his team is necessarily on the up and up just yet whereas Brendan's team is obviously a pretty strong team. Your matchup with Eddie, I think we can both safely agree that you're going to win that matchup. Yep, that's what I have. Cool. And then the same thing with Scott and Courtney's matchup, I think we can both safely agree that Scott is going to absolutely demolish Courtney. Yep. <laughs> We're both picking Courtney to win that matchup. The last two should be pretty interesting. Jake's fantasy baseball team versus Big Money Mike. 
I have Big Money Mike serving up Jake his first loss of the year. Did you have Jake coming out of this, or do you have Mike? I have Big Money Mike. Um, but like I, how we talked about it being very close, I think a lot of things have to go right here. Uh, the thing that um, I'm not really a, a huge Bueller guy. Obviously, he's amazing. He's going to do good. But um, I, I think he'll be efficient um, But with Arizona. But he also faces um, San Fran. And that does scare me um, a little bit. I feel like it's going to be rolling the dice. Same with Bumgardner. He's going to be going against um, – um, Colorado and the last time that he did he got shelled um, and this is a matchup where things have to go completely right not just for Mike but for both sides so it's going to be very close um, but there's very little room for air yeah completely agree with you and then our last matchup of the week I think it's interesting in its own right you have Kenny Ross Mercedes versus weak pullout hitter Jordan versus Sam who do you have winning this one weak pullout hitter I have the same. I have Sam winning this matchup. Uh, I think Jordan's team has been struggling recently enough that I can give Sam the nod relatively comfortably, but I think Jordan's team is, is kind of like Brendan's in that it's a fighting squad and, and you never know when it's going to bust out on any given week. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if like it, it's pretty close, but I do definitely have to give the go for Sam. Sure. Our Around the League portion of the podcast. Unfortunately, we will not be doing a League History Fact of the Week this week because I do not have the League History document pulled up or saved to my computer. Didn't really have enough notice to go digging for it before we started recording, but we will get back to you next week. Maybe Jake will give you two facts um, from the League History document to make up for it, but that brings us to Jordy the General's Sportsbook. So welcome to week two of our weekly sportsbook segment. Take What's it away, up, everyone. Jordan. We are back for another week of the sports book. Um, for this uh, this week, we're going to preview just a couple matchups, and I'm going to get into my locks again. See what you guys what you guys think. Uh, first, I'm going to be taking a look at Courtney versus Scott. This has a uh, a monster spread, the largest actually to date uh, in the sports book era of 87 points. Seems like a lot, feels like a lot, but Courtney uh, has been high flying all season, and Scott uh, recently sold off a lot of his top-tier players, so I'm interested to see how that'll go. Teams uh, with a spread greater than 70 points actually are 1-0, so we have seen a history of the favorites covering these gigantic spreads. Uh, Scott also typically has high-scoring matchups. He's 1-0 in his last one, uh, hitting the over in his matchups, but we do have a high one this week coming in their matchup at 533 points. I'll dig into this one. A little bit later, a little preview. I have this as one of my locks. Um, I'm also going to talk about my matchup with Sam. I'm actually completely staying away from this game. I do not like it at all. Sam and I have a huge history of being incredibly unpredictable. We are bad at meeting our scoring projections um, and bad at covering the spread in general. Two of the worst teams in the league at covering the spread. So uh, definitely I'm not going to touch the spread in this one at all. Uh, it actually has a pretty a pretty high total though, five hundred nine points. So if you are gonna if you are gonna take a look at this one, I'd consider taking the under. Uh, like I said before, Sam and I have trouble hitting our projections. Now to get into my locks though, um, last week I told you that I give winners on this show. Uh, I was four and one, only losing the me- league median under, which uh, unfortunately lost by half of a point. So I was. 
literally less than a point away from being perfect this week. I am currently 17 and eight. Um, so this is just not a one week, uh, not just a one week show. And I've consistently given winners. You guys should follow me because uh, I have a history and record to show for it. I'm going to first get into my favorite, Justin, minus 45 points. Eddie has had trouble reaching the projections this year. Um, and also, not only that, but he has had trouble covering the spread. JC, Justin, uh, coming off of a number one week. So I think that he's going to continue to roll, and I think Eddie's going to continue to struggle. I like Justin minus 45 points here. Underdog, I talked about it last week, the Titan matchup of Jake versus Nick. Um, Nick, Nick prevailed against the spread, so that improves his record to 5-0 and against the spread. All five of those wins come in as an underdog. I don't see that stopping here this week. Nick plus 25. Uh, I don't see this changing anytime soon. If Nick is an underdog, I'm going to take him just about every week. He has a history of outperforming his projections, and I think that that continues. Maybe even could win outright against a very good Nate team. Next, I'm going to get into my over. I have Jake and Mike. I think that um, we've seen a history of these teams putting up points easily, outperform projections, easily hit over on a routine basis. Um, I think 527 points. I think it's going to be close, but I do like these teams put up points. I think that they're going to score a lot, and this is going to be another one that's going to be a very close matchup. It actually has the lowest uh, lowest spread of the uh, of the week at just over um, – just over three points. So it's going to be a tight matchup, but also high scoring, I think. My under, I have Courtney versus Scott. I touched on it briefly that I think that the, the scoring uh, projections are high this week. Uh, we know Courtney can put up points, but she's also projected number one this week. I think that that's really going to be a lot. I think that obviously I think she can hit 310 points, but can Scott pull his weight in this matchup, hitting that pretty high over? Like I said before, he sold off a lot of his team. He's um, a lot of his stars are gone. So can they, can the backup guys perform? I'm interested to see it. Uh, the median I have going under again this week. We uh, unfortunately, like I said, lost a close one last week. It was the highest scoring median ever. The first one to go over this one sitting at 259 points. I uh, do not see that one going over. I think it's another pretty high one. I think that the over got lucky last week. I don't expect that trend to continue as we've seen in, for the five, last five matchups, it's been a lot lower than that. So, yeah, I'm going to come back with a 5-0 record. Ride with me. I will not let you down. All right, back to you, Nate and Jake. That was Jordy the General's weekly sports book. Thank you, Jordan. JC, let's wrap up this episode by closing with our news and notes segment. So according to Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic, it will be harder for players to be promoted directly to the majors from AA than it will be from AAA this season. You might be thinking, no, duh, that's how it always goes. But all AAA clubs are following the same COVID protocols as Major League Baseball has instituted for all teams across the big league level. Uh, AA teams, on the other hand, are not following the same protocols, and therefore players would have to go through extra steps and intake testing in order to make the jump to the majors should they receive the call. First question I have for you, JC, would you expect rehab assignments uh, for players who are hurt to take a little longer this season? I'll give you a perfect example. Adalberto Mondesi is currently on a rehab assignment at the AA level. 
I would say it can easily take longer just because of of all the extra hoops now. I don't know if I'm if I'm seeing something that maybe like that's not there, but I feel like with the extra protocols, um, it's going to take maybe not a whole lot of time, Mm -hmm. but um, I feel like it can definitely extend it more than it just being something to not even consider. Sure. Like in, in seasons past, it's typically been like a guy gets hurt on the IL. They may, they may send him down to the minors to get two games in and then they bring him back up. It might take a little bit longer just because of all the extra procedures that they have to go through this year. I would agree there. Does this news cause you to give another look? Like I personally have not really too many because you just, you're always taking a guessing game with prospects, but I do have a couple guys on the watch list that I'm kind of monitoring, seeing if they get called up to the majors. Does this news cause you to give another look at any top prospects on your watch list to try and narrow out which may have the best chance at receiving a call to the major leagues? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think for once since expanding the league, uh, roster spots are just hugely underrated. I think with dialogue with you over the past year kind of made me realize that kind of gave me a new management skill. Um, obviously dropping Hassan Hira. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was out on my playing list, but um, you know, it's just something that you're not getting a return for it. But if a guy I'm holding uh, is going to get called up, um, is not going to get caught up all year and I'm holding him? I feel like that just really hurts as, as personally, because um, I know I'm getting zero return out of that spot or yielding any dividend until that call is made. Uh, so I do pay close attention to a couple people right now um, just to hear any sort of news that might bump them up. But um, I don't want to just hold them um, on my roster for a very long time and then not get called. Sure. I'm, I'm mostly with you there. There's always few exceptions. Like Kalenic was a pretty clear exception. There's probably a few others like Bobby Witt Jr. on Scott's team. Oh, He's yeah, probably 100%. an exception. But yeah, in general, you don't want to waste precious roster spots on guys that you don't even know if they're going to get an at-bat this season. But on that note, Jared Kalenic finally got the call this past week and took Taylor Trammell's spot in left field for the Seattle Mariners. And before the season, the Mariners president at the time, he's actually been fired since because these pub- these comments became public. Uh, he mentioned that Kalenic would soon be the everyday left fielder. Now, JC, even though he carries the coveted triple outfield eligibility this year, he has left field, center field, and right field. Are you expecting him to only carry left field eligibility moving forward after this season based on, one, his first few starts, which have only come in left field, in tandem with the preseason comments from Seattle's front office, which mentioned that he would just be the everyday left fielder. I don't think he'll carry all three. I, I, I it could really go either way, but I feel like a lot has to happen for that, like a lot of injuries mm-hmm. um, for that team. Cause then he would for sure see the playing time and um, all of them. I feel like to sustain three uh, is going to be really hard. Uh, I could see him having two, pretty easily like maybe left field center field I don't think that would be difficult or unachievable um, but for all three I, th- I think that's going to be a toss-up yeah and I thought that this was interesting because we've already touched on how left field is just really stacked so I think I think the Kalenic is going to be a standout hitter no matter what eligibility he has but it would be a huge boost for Scott if he was able to pick up center field eligibility to carry into next season. Um, 
So hopefully that happens for Scott. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, another multi-eligible, multi-position eligible player, Brandon Lau for the Tampa Bay Rays. It seems like he has hit himself into a platoon at second base with a guy named Mike Brousseau. He was actually the guy that Aroldis Chapman got suspended for throwing at his head last year. Uh, Mike Brousseau is starting against left-handed pitchers. Uh, this is because entering Saturday, Brandon Lau's splits were pretty drastic. He had a 901 on base plus slugging versus right-handed pitchers and just a 191 on base plus slugging against left-handed pitchers, which is just absolutely awful. Uh, on the bright side for Jake, since I know he owns Brandon Lau, it looks like Gavin Lux has broken out of the second base platoon for the Dodgers since he has started 14 of the last 15 games. And I actually just saw, even if he didn't break out of that platoon, the Dodgers are planning on having Gavin Lux play the majority of the games until Corey Seager gets back at shortstop. So it looks like he doesn't have to worry about Lux's playing time. I was going to ask Jake about this, but JC, I'll ask you instead. Given that Lau's struggles are a little more potent than Lux's were, do you have any confidence that Brandon Lau will also be able to bust out of the platoon like like Gavin Lux was? I don't know if it will be at that caliber because, I mean, he, he's been in now for how long, and um, I'm pretty sure he hasn't scored above two points, um, fantasy points per game in any um, given period of, of us playing. Um so I, is it underwhelming? Possibly. Um, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think he'll get out of it. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Lux, is, or not Lux, I keep mixing the two up, Brandon Lau, is that he was a 2020 breakout, and obviously we only had a 60-game season last year. And if I recall correctly, he wasn't even able to stay hot for all 60 games. So a lot of the buy-in on Brandon Lau this offseason in drafts was based on a basically a 35 to 40 game stretch over an entire career of Brandon Lau not being like a difference maker. So I kind of tend to lean the same way that you do that I would be more surprised than not if he ended up becoming a difference maker and taking over the full-time job at second base again this season just because it's more of the exception than the rule. Uh, that Brandon Lau was really good because it was only for that short period last year in the very abbreviated 2020 season. But again, not, I guess, as big of a concern for Jake because Gavin Lux now looks like he not only has an everyday role, but he's going to pick up multi-position eligibility by playing shortstop for the Dodgers. The last piece of news that I have, he's been a hot topic on this podcast over the last few episodes. According to reports, Mackenzie Gore needs to improve his fastball command and consistency with his secondary pitches to get a major league call-up. Gore has struggled without real competition since the end of the 2019 minor league season, as some of you may not be aware. There was no minor league season in 2020 because of the pandemic, so they are just now getting back into real competition since the end of 2019. Um, and Mackenzie Gore is scheduled to make his AAA debut on Friday, the Padres believe that a return to game action will be a significant boost for the highly competitive 22-year-old. There's also some thought that Mackenzie Gore might benefit by toning down his complicated delivery. Um, a few talent evaluators, evaluators have suggested that 
His movements are a bit too mechanical for someone so athletic. JC, do you suspect that Mackenzie Gore will make quick work of figuring these somewhat minor issues out and be able to contribute for the Padres this year? And if so, do you think he'll be up before or after the All-Star break? Uh, I'm so 50-50 with Gore. Um, But uh, Gore uh, was given uh, a chance uh, for that starter role um, when he was in spring training. Uh, the thing was, though, he did struggle to locate a lot of his pitches. And then uh, in five Cactus League outings that he had, um, within 11 innings, he gave up six earned runs, 12 hits, and eight walks. Uh, so that didn't really um, – so that did really give me, like, another side of Mackenzie Gore um, on the young stud. I do think he'll find the rhythm and momentum. Uh, I don't know if the mechanical work is it. I don't – I still think he's young. He's going to have a lot to work on. Um, I think he will be called up um, before the all-star break. Um, But I I think it's going to be kind of a hit or miss if he's just going to get crushed. Um, If he, like if he'd get called up today, I I don't think he'd be able to handle it. But I think if he's called up at the right time that he's going to perform pretty well. Yeah, he's an exciting player to watch. I'm sure he'll make a few more appearances in name dropping on this podcast, either by way of, of rumblings that he might get called up or maybe there's a surprise call up and then we're talking about him the rest of the season because obviously he's the number one pitching prospect in baseball. So he's an exciting guy to talk about. But JC, thank you for filling in for Jake this week. I know Jake really appreciates it. I really appreciate it. We had a lot of fun. You're supposed to be the third guest i should say or the third host alongside jake and i so hopefully we can make that happen again this season um hopefully you want to come back on hopefully you had a good time and and we'll be able to do it with me you and jake next time you come on most definitely thanks for having me and i definitely uh look forward to doing it again uh, especially with jake here too that sounds like fun yeah absolutely so Thanks, everyone, for listening to episode number eight of our Best Player Wins Fantasy Baseball podcast. And uh, thanks again to JC for filling in this week and, and coming on and doing a great job. We will catch you on episode nine. Here. Yeah.